Hello and welcome to the Stories About Autism podcast. My name is James and I'm your host and I'm a dad of two boys, Tommy and Jude, who are both autistic. Each week on the podcast, I get to speak to a special guest who shares their own story about autism. I speak with autistic adults, parents of children who are autistic and professionals who work with the autism community too. There will also be some episodes where I talk a little bit more about me and my boys, share our own experiences and answer some of your questions. So make sure to look out for those. This week, I'm joined by Martin, all the way from Denmark, as he takes the honour of being my first Danish guest. Martin is an autistic adult who shares insights into his life on Instagram and TikTok on his page, A Different Spectrum. Martin also has ADHD and Tourette's diagnosis too. I found Martin's account last year and was fascinated by his videos where he explains what his life is like. He talks honestly about quite difficult moments and subjects, whilst also being full of positivity and light. I especially love his stimming videos where he shows off some of his favourite stims and explains a little about why he enjoys them so much. We talk about when Martin received his autism diagnosis and the impact that had on his life and what his ADHD and Tourette's diagnosis mean alongside that. We talk about school, masking and the stress of trying to fit in. Martin shares more about his stimming and his tics and how he hopes to normalise them by posting the videos he does on his page. There's so much to take away from today's episode. Whether you're a parent, family member, professional or autistic yourself, Martin explains so much. It's definitely helped me better understand some of the habits of Jude and Tommy too. Let's get into it. Here's my chat with Martin. I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, Martin, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Hi there. Thanks. I'm doing fine. You? Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, I've loved following your account online, uh, getting to know about you and your story. And I think you share so many insightful things uh, that I really know my community and audience are going to love. So I can't wait to, to find out more. Do you want to start with just giving everyone a little introduction to you, uh, where you live, uh, and yeah, just tell us a little bit about Martin. Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I'm Martin and uh, I'm 31 years old and I live in Denmark. Uh, I'm autistic and I have ADHD and Tourette's syndrome. So that makes me a little different, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I'm very happy. So hmm. I've. I think that's something that really comes across in your videos is how happy you are. I think that that's in itself is really, really wonderful and really inspiring and great for, for people to see. Let's, let's start from, from the beginning and how old were you when you received your autism diagnosis and what, what did you understand back then about autism? I was about 10 or 11 when I got my diagnosis, uh, but I didn't really understand much of it. I mean, yeah. I guess I had a little perception of what I've been told about it, but it wasn't something I was really, uh, you could say, embracing or thinking like, that's me and it all makes sense kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> it was more like confusion and and being kind of upset about it more so than anything. Yeah. And do you remember... Like, I know, obviously, it was 10, so it was quite a while ago. Do you remember sort of why you went through that process? What were, were you displaying certain traits that, or were you struggling at school? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was in, I was in public school uh, for a while, and it didn't really work out that well because I was very disruptive uh, during class time, and I struggled to kind of keep up uh, social-wise, uh, you could say. Um, yeah. But in other areas, I did very well. But in a lot of areas, I also was kind of falling behind because there was so much other influences that made it very difficult for me to keep up and also to pay attention and not to be <laughs> so disruptive. Yeah. So that was kind of why it, why I had to kind of stop at that school. And then my parents put me in a, it was like a psychiatric uh, hospital school kind of. It functioned at a school where I'd go home after I've, I've been at school and then I'd get, go back the next day. Yeah. Uh, but it was very interesting how that worked. But that was like the process that I had to go through to get my diagnosis. And it took like over a year. So it was quite a long time where I kind yeah. of felt like in limbo, you could say. Yeah, it must have been. And 
So after that year, what, what happened? Did you start to receive more support at school or did you go to a different school? After uh, I was there, I uh, was put in a school for autistic uh, children. Yeah. Uh, and it was quite different than <laughs> public school. It was a totally different approach to both education and also like mental health uh, uh, awareness. You could say they knew a lot more, obviously, and how to handle me in a different way, you could say. Uh, and also just more so accommodating all the needs that I had. Uh, and teaching me the way that I best learned. So that was very interesting for sure. Did that help you? Did you did you feel that suddenly you were surrounded by people who understood you more or who were more similar to you? I think going from public school where I felt like I couldn't really keep up, I, I definitely felt like it took it down a notch where I could keep up in my own pace. So in that way, it was very nice, but it... I also suddenly felt like it was totally different waters for me, obviously. And there was a lot more attention and eyes on me to kind of, they would notice all the small details that everyone else missed. (laughs) And that can be both good and bad. So so I was, I kind of had to get used to that for a while, but I, I felt like overall it was, it was scary at first, but also welcoming with a new, you could say new environments can be scary, but it was a very accommodating environment. So that helped a lot. Uh, mm. and yeah nice teachers and stuff so I like yeah. them and so what what was next after school so were you at school until like 18 or yeah I went at that school till I was 18 yeah and then uh, after that I I didn't really know what to do at the moment so I entered a special program called STU <laughs> sorry which so I started like an STU program, uh, which I can't remember how it's translated. Like it's especially uh, uh, something education, you could say. Yeah. Where it, it's more about teaching like social skills, mm-hmm. more so than academics, you could say. But it's kind of a free choice, like what I would want to do in terms of schools that are in this program. So I would go for something that's more creative, maybe. Or I could have done something that was more towards something else specific. Uh, and it lasted three years. And the first year was absolutely terrible. That was <laughs> a bad school. But uh, so, yeah, I changed from that to something else that was on the other side of the country, actually. So I had to move and stay at the school, uh, which was very different for me. Um, but also nice in its own way. Uh, and it was very creative and more geared towards uh, music and arts. So that was something I liked uh, very much. So uh, so it was fun. Yeah, I've, I've seen the g- guitar playing in, in your videos. Uh, so you, <laughs> you can see you, yeah. your uh, music's definitely a passion of yours. Yeah, that, that definitely became something of a track that I kind of wanted to go on at that moment especially um and i it was also something that helped me connect a lot to the other students because Mm. i really still struggled socially and and really it was the first school where i was like at where it wasn't where people knew i was different and i wasn't really advertising that i was different so i was more so the oddball that people didn't really know how to figure out or or the shy uh boy in the room you could say uh, so it was a bit different of an approach that I took because I was finally off the leash, you could say, in that way. And there wasn't as many people watching me and making sure that I was okay. So I kind of had 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 my own uh, pace there to choose. And I chose a different direction for it. And I'm not sure it was the right one looking back, but it did help me develop a little bit more socially on my own terms, you could say. So there's that. I I know that's that's something that's, that's important to you and something you've spoken about is friendships and uh, being able to be social with others. How f- for someone who's not autistic, can you explain what it feels like when oh. you know you're you're in this class with with new people with pe- you know or people who may be judging you or, or just are unsure. Of, 
how how does that feel and what why can it be difficult to to form relationships um i think in the start it was really difficult because i was always so aware of what other people thought about me uh now it's not so much that but still like the sensory aspect of meeting new people and their expectations as far as uh eye contact and things like that and what they expect from you and like their expectations can put a heavy load as far as anxiety on my back um because it's it's so diff, diff, difficult when you enter a room and don't know what what people's kind of thoughts are uh not that i i could figure people out like that but it's more so that i don't know what they expect from me um mm. and i suppose i'm very adaptable and i don't know if the word is malleable uh, <laughs> i don't know uh, when it comes to my um but yeah I, I think it's just it's hard for me to really feel at ease in those environments where i'm not quite settled in and know the people that i'm interacting with as much it, it takes a little while for me to warm up but i suppose that can be normal for a lot of people as well yeah. uh, but especially those sensory issues with eye contact can be a huge issue because when i meet somebody new i don't know how much eye contact i need to make with them and Okay. That alone can be an issue that just adds anxiety on its own. So there's a lot of things that has to add up where it might be a very awkward situation and in interaction. And that what can that's what can kind of stress me out beforehand as well and make me not want to go at all. Uh, and that's still an issue. So that's interesting. So with with the eye contact, it's because I, I think it it's something that's that's known or you know obviously not all autistic people but that some autistic people struggle with with eye contact and i think it's assumed it's yeah it's the actual act of making eye contact that's, that's a problem but there you've described it it's it's also the not knowing how long to hold the eye contact yeah i mean being able to to make eye contact is the first step, but then yeah. like, how long do you, <laughs> do you hold it? Are, are you just staring at people? That's also an issue. Yeah. Cause then I'd rather not be looking at them instead of just mm. being creepy, you could say. And sometimes yeah. it, it kind of makes sense naturally, but sometimes it's, it's a learning curve and it's a very individual thing as well, uh, where it makes mm. sense. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, but my parents noticed that trait with me, uh, when they got me because I'm adopted. And I right. got to Denmark when I was one years old. So they were kind of thinking, like, maybe that's just how he was because of his uh, yeah. experience. <laughs> but uh, so they didn't really give it much thought other than they just thought that maybe I wasn't used to as much body contact and stuff like that. Uh, and they thought maybe that was the issue. Uh, but it was a very early sign for me that I did not like eye contact. Uh, yeah. and I guess I still don't. There's a lot of coping strategies you can make like where you look at people's faces and and stuff but it's there's so much information in the eyes that it can it can overwhelm me because it's hard to read and it's it's just very hard to explain mm. but just overwhelming really um and that's still an issue but especially like if i've been to like job interviews it can be a huge issue because you know you're not gonna get the job if you don't make eye contact and if you make yeah. too much uh creepy <laughs> so it's yeah it's a sweet spot somewhere in between but it's definitely something that people expect you to and that can be you could say that can add a lot of anxiety as well uh knowing that you'll have to do it knowing that it's uncomfortable to do but something that you have to do <laughs> i think that ties in with with again something i've heard you talk about is how you would mask to to fit in uh, and how important it felt for you to be able to fit in. And, and I guess that's part of making friendships as well, isn't it? Is, is, is finding a way to fit in, to be able to, to connect with people. What, what happens when, when you mask and, and you come home and, and I guess, let go of that, how, how does it feel? Uh, letting go of the mask is obviously very nice and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's very good to a good feeling when you do that. But 
I guess people sometimes mask for very different reasons. It, and I think my reasons have changed over the time, as like I said, in the start, it was more because I was trying to fit everybody else's narrative and trying to kind of cater to what they thought I was yeah. supposed to be like and thinking a lot about what they thought about me. And now it's not so much about that, but more so like, I know I'll have to act a certain way to generally fit in here instead of specifically fitting in for a specific person or it's hard to explain but masking just it has changed for me so it's it's different now than it used to be but it's still something i i have a very hard time of letting go because it's something i got so used to mm. like especially with my tics it's something that people don't understand and it's something that's very hard to explain to every person you meet why <laughs> that is yeah and especially if you're in a job interview, you'll have to mask as much as possible <laughs> because you want to be at your best behavior. And that's kind of sad that you have to do that. Uh, but sometimes job interviews can be like that, I suppose. Uh, but again, it's like a, it's like a situation where, you know, you'll have to kind of try to fit in at least or hit a certain point where at least they don't consider you uh, to be too atypical to be able to be there or maybe they're just not welcoming uh, and you'll you'll notice if you're in an environment where you feel like well here I absolutely can't let the mask slip because then uh, it could be an issue uh, so so yeah masking is I guess I got a little off topic there but <laughs> masking is something different yeah yeah it m- must be so tiring I, kn- I know it's it's something spoken about where you know often as as a as a child autistic people will mask when they go to school so that they fit in and and can cope with the day and then they come home and and almost mm. almost explode because yeah, <laughs> they have yes. to work so hard yeah so relatable indeed yeah definitely uh, I felt very sorry for my parents to have to deal with all that aftermath and knowing that when they called the school, their school would say, oh, he's on his best behavior and he's doing very well. <laughs> but at home, it was a very different story. And <laughs> it was about finding a balance there with that mask and trying to figure that out. Yeah. So if you think back to that time, is that literally what happened? That you knew you were safe, you knew you could relax, but... You just had to let out this, mm. all this anxiety that you've been dealing with. All yeah, time. it's like, like especially with my Tourette's, I feel like a good analogy would be like a volcano, you could say, and it's kind of brewing a bit and then it, it'll have to explode eventually or just kind of vent more often, uh, one or the other. But when I'm masking, it's really just building up a lot more things that I know will eventually have to come out or in a different expression, you could say, uh, like, like now I'm masking some of my verbal tics, but I'm also stimming a bit more with other things or moving my body around in other ways. So it's, it's like directing that energy and kind of venting it somewhere else than maybe what would make sense. Um, so, yeah. (laughs) So I, I guess that's something you've come to realize about yourself and found ways of like you said, you, you've got some, uh, you know, you're moving around, you've got some stim toys with you to, you know, to fidget yeah, with definitely. and play with. And, and so I, I guess over the years, you've learned your own strategies to, to, to manage this, this, this stress and anxiety and, and, and help you through the day. Yeah, definitely a lot of coping mechanisms. Some come naturally and others you can be taught by people that know uh, kind of how to vent those things and be able to kind of direct those energies or different things and traits. Uh, yeah. And it's it's good to find a middle ground because, as I said, some of them really do have to come come out in some kind of way. But but it's also good to kind of find a way that, are, that works for you and and at the same time allows you to kind of <laughs> be in the room, you could say. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's also good just to let it go. And it, that, when you get home, that's a really good s- place for it, usually. Um, 
but yeah, sometimes just it's hard to keep in, and it, sometimes it's just impossible, and it'll have to be what it is, <laughs> and that's fine too. So, uh, with, with the Tourette's, and you have an ADHD diagnosis as well. I, I guess it's a, a bit of a you're almost being pulled in different directions at times, right? Of of <laughs> things that definitely you yeah. need oh. to do to help you know, because you have ADHD, but then also things that then might be conflicting because you're autistic and, and then you've got these definitely controllable ticks with Tourette's. Um, how, how would you describe that to somebody if to, to help them understand like what, what, what that means for you? It's, it's interesting with some traits, like, with like autistic case and then ADHD that are just complete opposites. Like I like, for example, I really like routine and the sameness and having something that I know I ha I'll have to do. But then again, ADHD, like chaos and spontaneity. And <laughs> it's sometimes hard to find a middle ground of those two because yeah. it's either one or the other, but it's, it also in a way makes me unable to plan my day and really schedule things that often. And it's hard, especially like to plan vacation is very, impossible for me to do and it's <laughs> and it's like it's hard for me to plan vacations uh, because it requires that planning and and it's, it's it's one of those things that I find impossible but where I would really love to have more routine and be able to really look at what I have to do in a visual way uh, mm. but it's also hard for me to really sit down and do it and have the focus to do it uh, so in that way it kind of works against each other um yeah and that's uh, chaos in the middle pretty much <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how, how do you you know what what works best for you in in that way for I, I know you said you'd like to plan more routines but at the moment what what is it that's working for you that's that's helping you be so happy uh good question uh there's sometimes calmness and chaos in some ways, you could say. Yeah. Uh, I suppose I could use a better system than the one I have now, but it's I'm kind of winging it. Uh, and like I'm not on any medication either, so it's it's hard for me to really figure out like what could really work uh, towards getting more routine and being able to relax more with that, but also not be as chaotic and spontaneous uh, because that's something I can be very much so um, I'm not quite sure what keeps it together uh, but it's it it works fine at the moment but I'm I'm sure it could also work way better so I'll have to figure that out eventually <laughs> yeah. and one thing I I see when when I watch your videos is how happy you are stimming and how happy you are with it seems like you find different things to stim with that really bring you joy and that really, I guess, help you relax as well. Um, I mean, obviously in, in the background there, I've seen you've got a couple of plushy toys. Um, I remember, <laughs> yeah, I really remember the penguin. They're always there. <laughs> One or more. Have you still got the penguin? <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> He's here. <laughs> He's always there. Yeah. Pretty much goes with me everywhere. So yeah. yeah, there's plushies for sure. They uh, mm. they do uh, they do help keep the ship together. You could say they're they're really good for stimming and also just as comfort items. Yeah. And I suppose that's some of my coping strategies. You could say to bring them and really have them uh, because they're really good for stimming and being able to regulate me both uh, mentally and you could say it's it's a good way to stim. Yeah. And I've. I've think you you talk about normalizing stimming so can can you talk a little on that and explain for, for people who aren't really aware of what stimming is and and why it's so important and and why we should should normalize it yeah definitely um so yeah stimming a uh, self-stimulating behavior you could say is something that everyone does yeah. Uh, but neurodivergent neuro people do it a lot more in general, it seems. Uh, and I do it a lot. <laughs> it's something that I find very calming and regulating. It's, and it's something I think everybody should be able to do. 
even though sometimes stimming can look very different and we each have our own types of stimming uh, even though we might not even know them uh but sometimes when you're like me like I'm a sensory seeker so I might seek out really good sensory input that I can use to stim with and it can be different textures or sounds that I listen to and things and there's a lot to find and a lot of fun to have uh and that's what I like to like normalize about it like we're all different but it's something that helps us and therefore we should definitely seek it out and not be ashamed to do so mm. so be, being a sensory seeker what, what what does that mean what what is it you're craving and, and wanting being a sensory seeker means for me that I'm sensitive to certain stimuli but that can be like I can be sensitive to noise but I can also be very sensitive to stimuli that can be very positive to me and that I can seek out to get more of it kind of helps to you could say level out that sensory input that I get if I get a lot of bad input or if I know I'm going somewhere where I know there'll be a lot of bad input I can kind of supplement it with having something that's on the good side and it can help me endure more of bad sensory input if that makes sense it kind of levels it out a bit and keeps the status quo so to speak mm. so so like for example when i'm going to work i know it might be noisy and stuff and busy but if i bring some fitted items and things that i know will help me out it'll it'll keep me calm and it can really help me focus as well so so it's really good to seek out that stuff and that's why i'm a sensory seeker <laughs> and and like you said everybody stims right the the, there's no real difference between what you're doing with with that plushy toy than if I was sitting here with a stress ball and and squeezing it and that's you know, true. people it's, sit uh... in an office with a stress ball and squeeze it and move and maybe pass it from hand to hand and catch it and you know yes and and that is seen as okay and and normal you know quote unquote normal mm. whereas yeah, definitely. Because you're using a, a plushy toy and maybe moving around a bit more, uh, it for f some people would would find that strange. But it's effectively doing the same thing. Definitely. Yeah, I would think so. But yeah, it's very true that some people think that it can seem very much very different from what they're doing, so they might think very oddly of it. Yeah. Uh, and I can see where they're coming from and seeing why. They might think that, but it, at the same time, if you take it for what it is, it's just very normal in a way. Mm. And of course, some people do it more so than others, where as you think it might be very different, but it's still very valid, I think, and very cool that we were able to kind of find these things that help us. Yeah. And so I really think it's a positive thing that should be embraced instead of shunned, you could say. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I like stimming and I, I know it, it can make me seem very different at times as well, but it's something that I really do enjoy. Yeah. It's, I think it, it comes down to awareness and education, doesn't it? Like uh, when, when Jude and Tom mm -hmm. were very young, I, I'll admit, I tried to stop them from stimming. You know, I, I didn't know any better. I saw their behaviors as strange mm -hmm. and I wanted them to fit in and not, not stand out. And so when they were flapping their hands, I was observing that and thinking, you know, I, I need them to stop that. I need them to, you know, stop flapping your hands, pick up the pen, um, you know, and, and try and learn to write or mm. try and build blocks or try and, you know, whatever it, it is at those early stages. And you you will hear that from some professionals about, you know, um, maybe you've heard it. Yeah, like definitely. Quiet um, hands and, you know, keep your hands still. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I can relate. It's, it's something that I've had to deal with as well. Uh, and my parents obviously took that approach as well. I suppose yeah. most parents do until they really realize how helpful stimming can be and how, yeah. how much it helps us to really regulate because if – if as you might, you might have experienced like if you do that and you suppress the stimming, it'll just uh, erupt into something else, and they might regress some even more of those skills that they have learned if they aren't feeling in their natural habitat where they can be themselves and really do those things that they naturally feel is their natural coping mechanisms. 
uh, and that's what I advocate for and really being able to embrace those things that really do make a more accommodating environment for ourselves and others, because it, it can really help us to learn a lot faster and more things that we might not have if we aren't offered those accommodations to be able to, to do those things freely. Yeah. And obviously there's a question of focus and some people can stem too much, obviously as well, but it's about redirecting it and being able to really be able to stem in a way that's productive as well, because it really can be. Yeah. I, I think that that's a question I, I get uh, whenever I talk about stimming and how the boys stim is, is how, you know, is there such a thing as too much stimming and it, what if my, my child's getting really overstimulated by, you know, whatever it is that they're choosing to, to do as a stim or it's becoming dangerous. Uh, you know, like it, have you ever experienced, have you ever experienced that where, where you've been overstimulated because of what it is that you're doing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a sensory seeker, I definitely have sought out stimming that I really like and sometimes kind of letting go of the world behind me <laughs> while I'm in my zone. Mm. And that can obviously take a lot of focus and make me lose focus of things I'm supposed to do or things that should be in focus. Uh, so definitely there, there's a balance, of course. Uh, and I also had some bad stims that that weren't as good that I've I've kind of moved more away from now. But it's it's something that sometimes still obviously feels like something autonomous that I do as a coping mechanism. But it might not be healthy. Yeah. Like for example, biting my nails is something I I can't get rid of it. <laughs> but it's it's just there if I'm anxious or if I'm if I know I'm going to a meeting or something. It'll the nails will be gone by when I'm there <laughs> pretty much if there were any to begin with. It's just one of those stems that, I mean, you don't realize it's a stem and it's, it obviously is yeah. in a way. And it's just, it's not exactly helpful and it's not productive, but it's also something that really does regulate me in the moment. But it's something that I, I know takes focus and isn't a positive thing on its own. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's tricky to deal with. There are definitely bad stems as well, uh, but it's more about finding other stems to replace those stems. Yeah. Uh, that I'm working on, uh, but it's, it's good to have stims. And I also see that you have some sort of really highly focused interests or, or special interests that, uh, that, that come out in your videos. Do you, do you want to talk a little about those? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've always really liked animals and finding like animal facts and also had a, had a little, uh, <laughs> you could say the time where I was very interested in uh, things like planes and mm. ships like the Titanic and stuff like that. It can be very specific or it can be something that's broad and it doesn't mean that I really absorb all the details and I'm able to really <laughs> talk about them for ages. It's not as much that when it's me with special interests, it's more about really finding a lot of joy in those details and, not necessarily being able to absorb them and keep them for long and talk about them, but more so something that makes me really happy, even if it's something very awfully specific. And at the moment, it's uh, penguins and camels that are <laughs> the big focus. Penguins and I and can't camels. really say why that is other than I... Penguins and camels, both Bactrian camels and dromedary camels. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> they bring a lot of joy. Uh, and my friends keep sending me pictures of them. and <laughs> It makes me happy every time. Uh, but yeah... Penguins and camels, especially Adelie penguins, is a huge interest. Uh, but it's not deeper than I just watch a lot of videos of them or or just get very happy when I see them. It's not something that's, you could say, that's deep enough, but but it's not something that I really know a lot about. Mm. So, but it's, it is definitely a special interest still. With, with the special interests, do you find mm -hmm. um, sometimes that... You know that that's obviously a way having interests and hobbies is a way that we connect with others right is how we build friendships and realizing we have things in common is that something that's helped you sort of connect with other people and make those friendships a little bit easier hmm. <clears throat> not my interests i would okay. say <laughs> but it, it might be because they're very specific so it's it's maybe hard to find friends 
in the seam of the Titanic, for example. Yeah. Well, you have, you <laughs> have friends who send you pictures in general, but it's... <laughs> you have friends yeah, who send you pictures. you're right. So I suppose it's both penguins and camels. Yeah, you're right. I suppose it does create connections that way, yeah. and, and you can have friends that are really supportive of your special interests and be able to kind of indulge themselves a little bit on the on the side and really be able to engage with you that way. That's, yeah, you're right. Definitely. <laughs> Special interests do create connections at times, even when they're only specific. Mm. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> with, with your, you know, we're, we're talking here, uh, we've been talking for over half an hour now and, you know, you're hmm. very oh, fluent in English. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure yeah. you speak Danish too, but I also see that sometimes you use an AAC device, right? Yeah, I use it. Now I can't use it because I'm filming on my tablet, but that's usually what I use for it. But it's, I would say it's not that often I use it lately. Mm. I've tried to kind of integrate it into my way of communicating because sometimes it can be hard for me to communicate with strangers. Yeah. And it's... It's something that's hard to explain when you suddenly can't really speak with others and you kind of avoid others, if that makes sense. And it's something that I'd rather not. I would rather just be able to communicate and be able to be more social that way. Mm. Uh, but it also, it's also something that brings me a lot of anxiety at times. And I've tried to really use AAC to kind of breach those gaps where I might not otherwise interact. Uh, and it can be if I'm going to the supermarket or picking up a package or something yeah. it can be very difficult for me to to talk or if i'm ordering food it can also be an issue if i had been using aac when i was younger it would have been way easier for me to use it now but since i've been so used to masking and really forcing that speech that i would i would otherwise just kind of be <laughs> keeping to myself you could say it's it's hard when you're used to forced speech that way and you know it's so draining for you but mm you still know that you have to because you don't feel like you have an alternative. AEC is a really good alternative and it can be something that's also very fluent and easy to use, but it's something that I don't find easy to use now because I know I, I can just force it. I'm like, why aren't you just forcing it? I keep having that pressure, especially for people that know I'm able to speak. Then it's just, ah, I know, I know I can speak and it's, and I'm very good at English as well. And, although I'm Danish and it's something that's, it's hard to explain to people how that works, that I can be good at, at speaking, but choose not to speak at times, or at least having a huge benefit and not always forcing speech. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a tricky one because I do think AAC is really smart and I wish I would have used it when I was younger and that option had been there. Uh, but now it's, it's a bit tricky for me to adapt to and be able to really, adopt into my repertoire of coping mechanisms you could say yeah i mean i i, I can only imagine but i I'd, I'd think that maybe even just knowing that you have that backup now is is a, a little bit soothing that you know that if you yes. really cannot get the words out that you've got that backup there to to try mm, and say definitely what you want to say it's a great tool to have for emergencies, for sure. And I'm very grateful I have it. I also have like a little tablet where I can write things on. That's okay. more like, you could say manual. Yeah. Uh, but it's also smart. It's mm. really easy to have at hand and it doesn't take up much space or anything. So it's, it's really useful to have an alternative at hand, for sure. Yeah. So it must be incredibly frustrating when that happens and you can't get the words out. Like I... You know, I, I have two boys who are non-speaking and their communication mm -hmm. is quite limited. And I can see there's plenty of times where I don't understand them or, or they can't explain to me what it is that 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 they they want me to know or that they need. And, you know, it must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> yeah, I know, especially when growing up, it was very difficult because... In the start, I actually started out speaking very well, and there wasn't an issue. Uh, but then I regressed some of those, I could say, social uh, traits that I'd learned and be able to communicate and stuff without 
really getting into not being able to speak suddenly, and that's very hard to 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 deal with when you know you have so much to say and yeah, and you have stuff that you want to ask for, and it's just uh, <laughs> it's it's very hard. It's like it's like uh, I used to struggle a lot, like especially I was if I was eating at a table and there was some food on the other side of the table, I wouldn't be able to to ask for it at all and i would just not eat that you could say <laughs> and it's it's that was very tricky it's i suppose that's like in general it's just <laughs> i know what i want and i know what to say but it's just oh it's like eye contact it's just you're, it's really overwhelming yeah uh, especially with strangers and it's it still can be for me uh, definitely and that's where i just kind of avoid it instead or spend a lot of energy really forcing it uh, and neither of those things are good, I think. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I can, I can definitely see it's very difficult when you can't communicate. And that frustration sort of leads to, to another topic I wanted to ask you about. And something I get asked about from from a lot of parents is is meltdowns and how how do I, how do I as a parent help my children who are having meltdowns? How do you know what? what does it mean what what's happening what what, what can we do i, I could imagine mm. those moments of not being able to communicate and being frust that frustration could potentially lead to a meltdown or the anxiety of, of masking all day and and so what what do meltdowns mean to you like what does it look like in your life I mean, I don't have as many of them now. It's more like yeah. developed into shutdowns instead of meltdowns. Okay. So, but <clears throat> when I was a kid, I used to have quite a few of them. Mm. Uh, and it would, I mean, as you said, like it's often to do with communication more so than, I mean, there's a lot of sensory inputs that goes into that volcano that I was speaking about that kind of has to erupt sometimes. Uh, but I mean, sensory things aside, it's often the communication part that really made the meltdowns for me at least mm. uh, where I felt like I couldn't get my point across and then afterwards when you speak to people again and you've calmed down you kind of figure out like we were on the same page we wanted the same things and it, and yet it somehow yeah uh, <laughs> went crisscross and it just really uh, erupted too fast for me to really control and calm down and really talk but Again, if, I, if I'm in an overwhelming situation, it can be even harder to communicate uh, and sometimes impossible. So that's sometimes where it gets even trickier with the communication part and you misunderstand things or you say things you didn't mean. And it's, it's very difficult to backtrack. And sometimes it's just very difficult to communicate your needs and wants overall. Uh, and yeah, definitely. I think it's a huge factor in the meltdown area for me, at least. Uh, and I, I remember a lot with my parents, especially if we went somewhere that was already a bit of an overwhelming situation. Uh, I would get very angry and, you know, throw fits, but also just maybe not as outwards, but more it was all inside. And I would and I, I would also burst all my blood vessels in my eyes and I would look wow. like a panda or something. I had to stay home from from school for a while <laughs> because I looked so different. Uh, Yes, so much anger and frustration and that lack of communication that either broke down or it could be something like a routine that was broken or something that just, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and if it's if it was something I felt that was unfair or didn't make sense to me and I, I couldn't find a way to meet in the middle or at least get them on my page, it would often be <laughs> resulting in a meltdown, uh, which... I mean, it, it makes, it made sense and it still makes sense to me now, but I can see why that happened and why it wasn't supposed to happen. If that makes sense. It sounds like, like you said that you have less meltdowns now, I, I guess, as you've got older and understand mm -hmm. yourself more, uh, more self-aware of what, what works for you and what doesn't, uh, you're maybe meeting your sensory needs better. Is that sort of the biggest change? Mm, yeah, I think I think the biggest change is I'm more regulated now mm. than I was. I'm more in control of what I do and what I don't do. Right. Whereas before I could 
get very upset if my parents told me to go. They have suddenly read in something on the paper that gaming is bad for kids and stuff like that. And they took away my game time or they wanted me to go to bed early without without really debating anything. It was just, you do as you're told. It doesn't make sense to me. It has to make sense. And then I would, I would throw a fit and trash my room or something like that. I was, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, it's too bad that communication breaks down and you can't meet in the middle somewhere where both parties are heard or feel like they're heard at least. Because sometimes when you feel like you're losing your voice or you don't get heard, it can also be a huge factor for me, for sure. Mm. Uh, but I think what really helped me now, which is the difference, is that I feel more regulated. I feel more in control, uh, whereas the other times I didn't feel in control at all and therefore not in control of my my body and myself either. Uh, but definitely a more clear, mature headspace now. Uh, and if you trash your room enough times, you you also know it's it's not very productive, yeah. and it's never a fun experience for either parties. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like when you get angry if you're gaming and you throw your controller and you break your controller. It's like okay, <laughs> maybe not do that next time. Maybe <laughs> punch the pillow or something and, <laughs> and get it out some in some other productive way, or at least in a way that's not as destructive. And that's kind of what I've learned now in short, uh, to kind of redirect all of that energy and anger and frustration. Uh, and also just uh, enter different situation with a more accommodating approach to myself and my sensory needs. That can be a huge factor as well to prevent those sensory overloads and meltdowns and all of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah and nowadays if i have issues it's usually also with communication if i get a misunderstanding with my husband or something it's it's more so about ah oh, and again wires get <laughs> crossed and you know it's it's a misunderstanding most of the time and it's just a matter of a lack of communication that creates that and that makes me sad and I go into this shutdown mode where I don't really speak much and just more so sad than angry, really. Mm. Uh, hmm. Yeah, you you mentioned that now shutdowns seem to be more common than than, than meltdowns. Can you explain what, what shutdown is and what, what it feels like to you? Shutdowns to me feels more like uh, you could say where meltdowns is more, you could say energy uh, charged, and there's a lot of anger and and frustration that has to come out with with shutdowns. It's more so a frustration and a powerless feeling to really uh, be able to resolve a situation or something you know, where I just feel like I'm shutting down and I'm not really able to communicate those needs or really talk about it where I just really become quiet and reclusive you could say and and really sad more, more so than anything uh, but it is something like where I just shut down and I, I'd rather just be alone and and go for a walk on my own or something mm. so that's that's more so than meltdowns you could say yeah yeah because I've I think that sometimes is something people parents you know new to the journey might might not understand is is the that yeah a, a shut some autistic people have shutdowns rather than meltdowns when they're overwhelmed or anxious or you know it's not always like you said this big energy outburst it can sometimes go the other way and and mm -hmm. and and just feel like you can't do anything I suppose if you think about flight or fight reflexes, I think meltdown is more of a fight stance and, you know, like mm. that in that area, whereas shutdowns is more of a flight situation where you're fleeing from the interaction and, and really taking a more passive approach, you could say so more so than active. Sure. I don't know. Um, but yeah, cause definitely I did have shutdowns as well when I was a kid where I wouldn't act out in forms of, you know, aggression as much in those situations, I would more so just elope and, you know, run away from it and, and hide somewhere or climb a tree and, and not come down. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think maybe that's the difference, fight or flight. 
mm. when it comes to those two things for me at least i think that's a really helpful way of, of imagining it the, the difference between fight fight and flight you mentioned your husband there and you talk quite openly on your page about uh, being gay, uh, being part of the LGBTQ community and, and, and being autistic and part of that community. I think it's been quite important for you to share that, hasn't it? To, to help others, uh, feel more comfortable. I, I've seen you in a post talk about feeling, feeling able to be who you are and being able to talk about it as well. And, and it's, it's really important to you. Yeah, definitely. I think like with, being autistic, it was also something that I hid for a while and felt ashamed of. And I guess it was the same about being gay and part of that community. It felt like it was something that was more shamed than celebrated. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm, when I'm like growing up, it's become something that's more okay to be open about. And I feel like I'm in a welcome environment most of the time as well, which I'm very lucky to be. Uh, but that's also why I feel that it's important for me to be like sharing about it and being open about it like I am because it's something that that obviously is a part of me and something that I I don't want to be ashamed of sharing uh, and I think it's something that should be celebrated as well so yeah so being able to share that is really really nice I'd imagine that one of the real positives of you sharing <laughs> is that you've had lots of people who are also autistic and, and part of the LGBTQ community reaching out to you and, and, and sharing their experiences. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it seems like there's a huge amount of LGBTQ uh, people that are part of the neurodivergent community as well. And that's, it's a very interesting mm -hmm. statistic for sure somewhere there. Uh, and that's also why I think it's yeah. cool that there's so many of us, but also people that can really relate to what I'm saying. Uh, so that makes me happy as well when they contact me and, and tell their story as well. Uh, it's cool to have people to relate to. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And it, it, is that why you first started posting online to, to find people to relate to, 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 you know, share glimpses of your life? What, what was the, the sort of defining moment that made you go, right, I'm going to start being, sharing what I do on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I think blogging in general was always something I felt naturally, uh, you can see, I really like to do because it's something that helped me connect with other people. Mm. Because when I was growing up, I was very reclusive and I didn't really have any, you could say, physical friends that I hung out with much. Uh, so I found a lot of relatability online with people that had the same traits or had the same interests as me, at least, uh, that I could kind of, uh, you could say, talk with and follow up on. And we could share a lot of experiences. So I really liked that. And so therefore, suddenly I started sharing about my photography, which I liked at the time. Um, and I found other photographers and and friends that way. And that was cool as well. Uh, but then eventually once I really embraced my own diagnosis and, and really knew who I was, I was like, I should really share this as well and be able to find people because that was a part that I had kind of hide hidden away, you could say yeah. about myself. So therefore I felt like that was something I, I wanted to be open to myself, but also open to others about so that I could find relatability in them and they could find re relatability in me and therefore connect that way. Um, and I did find a lot of really good friends that I've also seen in person and be able to <laughs> hang out with. And that's really awesome because sometimes when you're different, it's, it's really hard to find that relatability and, and sometimes also really hard to find friends uh, with the same interests or whatever. And it's just really nice that even though you're, so specifically different you can always find people that will relate to it in one way or another uh and i did find relatability and friendship online so that's that's why i like blogging that's why i started my instagram and tiktok uh, yeah and I'm, I'm very happy for it it's you know so social media gets a, a bad name sometimes uh and there are some dark, side, <laughs> yeah. there are some dark sides yeah. to social media we all know we all know about them definitely too but 
you know, for myself, it's introduced me to so many people. It's, it's given me, whether that's parents, uh, of autistic children, whether that's autistic adults like yourself, whether that's, you know, people who are therapists, uh, teachers, uh, you know, and just give me a real sense of community. And I was speaking to, uh, TJ from Nye Functioning Autism yesterday, and she was saying exactly the same as you that. She, you know, introduced us to so many people who are like her and that she never would have been able to connect with if it wasn't for for social media. So, you know, I think it's fantastic for that. I think, like I said, you what you share is also so educational for whether it's for parents like me or for just the general public who hopefully we'll, we'll see some of your videos and, and, you know, next time they, they see someone who's stimming in public or who, you know, is working with them and hopefully it will just change their opinions a little bit and, and make them more accepting. Hmm. I hope to. Yeah. It's, it wasn't really the intention in the start, but it's, and then it was a hobby and then it was just, I'm happy to find relatability in others. And yeah. Then suddenly it was more of an educational blog, more so than anything, it seemed. And I got a lot of really great feedback from parents or educators that just really liked the content. And it was, that wasn't really what I set out to do at all, but it's something that meant a lot to me afterwards and yeah. where I apparently make it a difference somewhere. And, you are. and it's you sometimes hard are. to know if you feel like you're in your bubble and, and in that little world where you feel very different and then you share some of those different traits and the way that you function or cope and you find people that's apparently relate to it and that find it helpful. And that's really, really a really good feeling. And that's why I do what I do now. <laughs> so help people find you where, where can they, I've mentioned that you're on Instagram and TikTok. Where's the best place to find you? I suppose, depending on what they use, both, I guess. But yeah. I do post a lot more on Instagram, it seems, uh, mm-hmm. on a different spectrum there. Uh, yeah, so that's where they can find me, yeah. a different spectrum. A different spectrum. So I will make sure there's links to those accounts on the show notes in the episode. I really highly, Thanks. highly recommend that people go and check Martin out. Like I said, uh really informative content and if you're listening to this podcast and not watching the visual side of it is really important too so make sure you watch the videos on martin's account because it really helps you understand uh, a lot of what we've been talking about today um martin thank you so much uh for joining me it's been really great chat just before we go what's one Mm -hmm. thing that you'd like people to know about autism I mean, obviously, like everybody says, we're we're very different, all of us. And if you've met one of us, you've only met one of us. <laughs> it, that's that's the obvious thing to say, you could say. But I suppose one thing I would like to share is that it's I found it increasingly interesting how when we grow up, we have some traits. And then when we get older, we also have some traits. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note that not every autistic person is a kid as well there's a lot of autistic adults now and it's it's something like this generation growing up especially with social media it will be very interesting to see how they develop and you can really follow along on their journey and see how they change and be able to maybe mirror yourself in some of those traits that they have if you're neurodivergent and be able to see how it works with unmasking and all that it's a very interesting world where we get to see people that were autistic as, as when they were young, but also when they get older, yeah. it's a very interesting thing, I think. Yeah, precisely that. And that, that's why I think your, your account is so valuable because you're, like you said, you're seeing, um, you're seeing someone unmasked. You, you, you might know an autistic person at work who is masking heavily and you don't really know, uh, what that means or, or what life is like outside of that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, yeah, it's great that we can use social media to, to see that and that people are taking the brave decision of sharing their lives online and, you know, and helping others. Definitely. And I'm really grateful for your content as well. It's really great to see 
a parent that embraces it so well and and tries their best to really meet them where they're at and to be able to see it from their perspective. And oh, that's so valuable. <laughs> it's it's really hard to explain how valuable that is. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you. That's lovely of you to say, Martin. Thank you. I hope everyone enjoys this episode. Uh, and I will be back soon with a new guest. Thanks a lot, James. Quick one before you go. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, subscribe to the podcast, which will make sure you don't miss any future episodes, but will also help other people find the podcast too. In the show notes, you'll find links for the best places to find this week's guest and where you can connect with me. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode, so tag me or DM me in all the usual places. Hope you enjoyed this week's story about autism.